0: Right, welcome everyone to Fazliff's podcast, episode thirty. Just me today. I wanted to cover a little bit about my current training and uh, training, hard training, bodybuilding for um, the advanced and or older athlete. And I also wanted to touch a little bit on post-contest recovery as well, as uh, I've had a conversation with. uh, with a lady on Instagram about this, and I wanted to kind of give her a bit more information, so it gives me a chance to talk about this a little bit further. Um, So, firstly, my recent progress. um, Training's been going well. Training's been going really, really well. Um, So, I'm currently about 42 weeks away from competition. Um, I've been in off-season mode for over a year now, so my competition was mid-September last year. It's currently about mid-November. Um, so, being in off-season mode the whole time, being in a surplus for a large part of that time, I think I've only been dieting for, out of those 60-odd weeks, probably only been dieting for about 10 of those weeks, I think. So, um, done pretty well to just be progressively getting bigger and stronger. Um, so, particularly recently, as I've just gone back into a bulking phase over the last six or seven weeks, um, the the look is is quite noticeably different now. So. Quite a lot bigger, still relatively lean, holding about 94 95 kilos now. Um, in terms of arm measurements, biggest I've ever been 18 inches, um, which is which is cool, you know. Um, not massively impressive in the grand scheme of things, but um, definitely the biggest uh, my arms have ever been. So I'm quite happy with that. Biceps are always a, a weak point but they, they don't seem to be anymore, which is quite nice, uh, for, well, from certain angles anyway. So yeah, progress recently has been really good. Um, what the biggest thing that's helped is just having a run of uh, no injuries, uh, and that's been great for me. So I've set up a few things to allow that to happen, and uh, that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Is and what have I been doing, which has been working so well, uh, and having been able to stay injury free. So when if if i get injured it tends to sort of mess with my head a little bit so um just because i've had so many injuries in the past so uh, when um i had a chest injury earlier in the year probably february march time and that was that was really quite off putting so i took took some time off the gym for that but um yeah that was that was using a flat barbell bench so i had 120 kilos on the bar like two and a half plates and uh yeah something popped in my chest on about rep 19 uh of like a 20 rep set so at that stage, I just realised that there's going to be a lot of free weight exercises I'm just not going to be able to do effectively, um, and I, it pretty much squat, deadlift, and bench are the prime, uh, the prime offenders uh, uh, there. So I think it's probably just because I've done so much squatting, benching, and deadlifting in my time over the years, my body just just doesn't like those movements anymore. And uh, the issue with the barbell as well is you you are restricted in terms of the way your hands can move. So Yeah, it it tends to cause problems. Um, So for now, I just forego pretty much every barbell movement. I'm still doing incline Smith um, barbell press. Not Smith, actually, just a regular incline barbell press. Um, But that's generally after a bunch of other chest work, and I'm not really that strong um, during that part of the session. So I'm only using about 80, 90 kilos. But um, yeah, so a large part of recent progress has just been down to staying injury-free, being in a surplus for a long, long time, I think that's sort of understated. I don't have the the best genetics for this kind of stuff, but you know, if you're in a surplus for 60 weeks or 50 of those weeks, then good things are going to happen if you, as long as you're progressing uh, in the gym and training hard. So, yeah, that's been a large part of it. So, if we kind of delve into, I've got four different things that I kind of want to talk about. So, the first thing I want to talk about is machine work. Um, so, over the course of the large part of last year, I've mostly switched to machines for pretty much everything. Certainly, most things compound. So over the course of the last sort of, yeah, year, three quarters of a year, I've switched away from free squats, uh, switched away from barbell bench, uh, definitely switched away from deadlifts as well. Um, so I'll either do variations of those lifts. Um, so I'm still doing a free, uh, free barbell incline press, um, not squatting at all anymore. Uh, deadlifts is a rack deadlift, but that's about it. So, yeah, mostly machine work seems to be keeping me very, very healthy. Uh, The last gym I was at had a pretty decent range of equipment for the chest and back. So I was using those, getting stronger in those consistently. And uh, I found that they locked me in really nicely. uh, And I was just getting consistently stronger and stronger, which is great. So um, that was working out fantastically well. Um, And, yeah, just, just adding bits of weight every now and again and keeping the reps nice and high on machine work seemed to, seem to be a good way to go. For whatever reason, um, whether it's the instability from the barbells, um, there's you know, ever so slight movements of the barbell as you're lifting it, lateral movements rather than just up and down. I think that can cause problems. With with machines, you're pretty much locked in. Now, people have used that to say it's a negative um, previously, but I don't think it is. I think it's actually a positive. Certainly, in my experience, it's been a positive. You get locked in, you get in a nice groove, and as long as you've got a decent machine, which is built well, um, you're going to be in a good arc, and you know even if you're even if you're somewhat locked in at the hands, you can still move the elbows to adjust where where you want to pull from or where you want to push from. So machine work tends to keep things very steady. I think it's like those little minor lateral movements which tend to cause problems. Um, so yeah, a big part of keeping injury free has been machine work, um, and I don't believe they're any less effective than barbells necessarily. Um, I think some machines tend to probably work. Uh, lower amounts of muscle. Like uh, like if you compare a leg extension to a squat, for example, with a squat, you're really hitting everything. So you're perhaps hitting some of the adductors um, and abductors and glutes, whereas you wouldn't with a leg extension. That potentially gives you a more rounded look. Like if you look at a, a Kai Green, he squats, he squats an absolute shit ton and he does that for high reps. And if you look at his legs, they're just 3D from every single angle. And a large part of that is going to be down to not just having good quads, but having good uh, adductors Inner thighs, you know, hamstring, glutes, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think the compounds they, you know, they they have a certain advantage, but that that's like another topic we can talk about. But certainly, machine work um, in general has been has been very very good as long as I'm I'm picking the right machines to do the job. Yeah, so that's definitely been one part of it. Um, the second part of it is higher rep ranges. So, in regards to rep ranges, I've been mostly keeping my reps between anywhere between 12 to 20. Um, 12 to 15 being about right, being about there on average. Um, And that seems to have helped a hell of a lot uh, with uh, keeping injuries at bay. So 12 to 15 reps, uh, I did go through a period where I was going through very slow reps, but that doesn't really seem to have um, stuck with me. Just 12 to 15 done in a reasonable manner um, seems to work very, very well. I don't really do anything now down in the six to eight range. For me, with the amount of volume that I like to do, um, with how with how strong I am on certain movements, anything between six to eight just tends to be more injurious than everything than anything else. So, yeah, I think with regards to the higher up ranges, that's definitely a big part of it for me. Um, doing that is, is is made a it's made a world of difference. So yeah, mostly keeping in that sort of twelve to fifteen range, but occasionally going a little bit higher for um, for smaller exercises. Um, So, yeah, moving on to the next one. I've just written down here volume versus intensity. Um, So I've been through brief phases over the last year where I've dipped down into lower volume, kind of like a Jordan Peters style approach. I've done it a couple of times. Uh, And recently I I attempted like a a rest-pause DC-style training methodology. Every time I've gone back to my volume approach, um, as in escalating volume, deloading, starting afresh, escalating again, just seems to be better it just seems to be better um with the with the jordan peter style approach i felt it was effective but injurious um i also didn't feel it was particularly effective for it was injurious particularly for like elbows knees and stuff like that i thought there was a there was a big big strain on some of the extremities uh you don't necessarily get that with a volume-based approach so yeah, I thought I've done yeah, as I say, I've I've been through the the low intensity, the high intensity, low volume style a couple of times. And I think while it's effective, it's just not a very good long-term strategy for me. So it's not something I would recommend doing long term. But if you if you look at the practical application, there are very subtle differences between, say, a DC style REST pause set to something a Michael Jattel would recommend. So it's subtle changes, but they're very, very effective for what they are so let's say a dc style set you might start doing exercise say you're doing three plates on a hammer incline do that for 15 reps dc style rest for 10 to 15 deep breaths and go again you probably get eight or seven uh then go again you might get six or five you might stop there or you might go again so you've done you know three or four sets with about 30 to 45 seconds rest in between you've used a big weight now the con- the issue there that i found uh, the volume goes down quite a lot. Um, now that doesn't provide as much of a strong growth stimulus, even if you're going to failure. So the failure is effective, but it's tiring. And then the lack of volume is not so good. And extra volume isn't really that tiring. So you know, it's it's an it's one of those things. People people love to talk about training the failure, training hard, and like only certain people could do it because certain people can train hard enough and they wear it like a badge of honor and like that's that's cool and everything that's fine, but you know the majority of people just can't really train that hard and it's it's a hell of a lot of stress on the body to go to failure rather than just add an extra set so would you get a couple of more let's say you're doing three sets you take them all to failure so you get like an extra one or two reps per set where you as whereas you normally wouldn't so that's six reps extra three to six reps extra, yep, fine, or you know you could just add another set of six that's pretty easy too. So going back to the example anyway, so DC you'd style, you'd do say, a set of 15, rest 30 seconds or whatever, or 45 seconds, Doing the set of like eight, then do the set of six, and then maybe a set of five. With this uh, escalating volume style training, you'll start off potentially doing two or three sets, so you'll still do that big first set of 15 reps, but then you'll rest sufficiently sufficient amount of time, maybe 90 seconds, maybe two minutes, whatever agrees with you, maybe longer if you're bigger, do another set. So your second set, you're always going to get more reps. You've rested maybe 45 more seconds. What does that add to your workout, really? It doesn't really add much. You're probably adding a couple of minutes to every exercise. But what do you get from it? You get a lot more volume. So you're able to do um, 15 reps set for the first set. Second set, whereas you previously, with very little rest, you may have done like eight, you could probably go and get 12, you know? It's not going to be the same as the first set because you'll be tired, but you probably get like 12. And then the set after that, you get like eight. And then the other advantage is you're not rushing from set to set. So 30 to 40 seconds when you've just gone to failure is not really a hell of a long time. You're still breathing like crazy, all that kind of stuff. You're like, you know, where the hell am I? Um, And you're having to go again. That doesn't often really work out that well in terms of your rep execution. Also, your fatigue can can really reduce the amount of reps you can do. And that tends to lead into poor exercise performance as well. So I think it becomes infinitely harder to do a good job. And yeah, you could argue that people should be more disciplined and like, yeah, sure, they should be. Fine. But why not set yourself up for success? So just take the additional rest periods. It doesn't really cost that much in terms of time. And then you're getting you're getting a, better, a greater degree of high quality work. I would I would always rather do a little bit less work but do it high quality than just ram in more work just for the sake of it. Um And yeah, I I I don't really think there's anything particularly special with going to failure. So, that regarding volume intensity, as I said, I've been down the route now a couple of times. Did the rest ball style, did the JP style earlier in the year. Both styles I tend to find are successful in varying degrees, but both are definitely injurious. I thought the Jordan Peters style approach was probably a little bit better than DC's training, because at least you get more volume and. Peters tends to emphasize a lot more exercises. So he might actually do five, six exercises. So you are doing 10 to 12 sets, which is quite a lot. Whereas your DC style training, particularly advanced DC style training, you're probably only doing about three to four exercises per major body part. So it's fairly low volume. And the volume that you are doing, a large part of that is with very short rest periods. So the quality tends to suffer in my in my experience. Um, so yeah, moving on to the next point I've got down is compound versus isolation. I've gone back to doing mostly compound exercises. That was a decision I made a few months ago. And it may be coincidence, it may not be, um, but that seems to be part and parcel of some of my recent success. Um, so yeah, compounds for the most part, I've foregone any cable crossovers, foregone any leg extensions. Any spare time I've had in the gym, I've put down to just more compound work. So that, I think, has definitely played its own role. Um, it's something that you know we used to talk about a lot back in the day: compounds versus isolation. What's more effective? Um, and I still don't think it's been scientifically proven. Let's say a squat is more effective for the quads than a leg extension. I'm not sure if it has. I know we have EMG studies and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not necessarily sure how well it's been proven. But I, I do know that in general, compounds for me seems to be more effective. So that's another one. Um, I'm also less injured right now as well. So I don't know how much that plays into plays into it. So were the leg extensions that I was doing before contributing to knee pain? Were the cable crossovers contributing to some sort of chest pain? I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to say, but all I can say now is that at the moment I'm I'm feeling pretty good and none of that kind of stuff's happening. And it's been it's coincided with, you know, going to mostly compounds. I still do a lot of isolation for delts and arms. So delts is almost entirely isolation. I still don't press overhead. Arms is obviously a lot of isolation. Um, although I have I have introduced reintroduced chins and dips. Um, I had a lot of success with chins and dips in my first year of training. I got my arms super big uh, in my first year of training just for doing a hell of a lot of chins, dips, and overhead presses. So um, just kind of giving a nod back to that, I've added them in on my second upper body day as kicking off with that combination of chins, chins and dips. And I've been doing that for a while now. So perhaps that also plays a part. Um, I do know that chins are... Chins are a really good exercise um, for the biceps as well. and Dips, obviously, everyone knows they're a great exercise for the triceps. So that's potentially had some some benefit there too in terms of exercise selection. But, yeah, main thing is a lot more compounds. That seems to have made a big difference. Um, Finally, bulking. Yeah, just as I said, in general, just a large part of the year has been down to bulking. And I think if you are moving into cutting mode or you start to diet or you're dieting frequently and you're taking frequent mini breaks, I think that does tend to upset the upset the sort of the nutritional axis of your body, so electrolyte depletion, uh, feeling weak, feeling less full, all that kind of stuff and if that's if that's um, going up and down fairly drastically over the course of the year, I think you are going to expose yourself to more injuries. i think I can pinpoint most times that i 've been injured down to feeling less full uh, on the day uh, as in sort of less hydrated, all that kind of stuff so I think that definitely plays a role. Um, so yeah, it's been there's been a lot of a lot of cool stuff that's coming to play, and just writing all this stuff down uh, kind of clears it in my own head for what I want to do moving forward. Because I've got about twenty weeks, or just less than twenty weeks, about eighteen weeks or so left of bulking, um, and I want to just carry on doing what I've been doing the whole time because that's been so effective. Um, and just really nailing down, particularly over the last three, four, five months all these things that I've been doing, which have been super, super effective. Um, All the things that I mentioned, like machine work, higher up ranges, um, a volume style approach, bulking, compounds, all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, so that's it kind of helps me put it out there. And I think it's it's a way of training that's quite safe, but it's very, very effective. Um, One last thing on sort of the volume versus intensity. My volume loads right now aren't very high. So I, I know I have a friend of mine who keeps asking me, or whether I'm sort of a volume trainer or, a, or a, what do I think of low volume? And I've always given the answer that I, I, I'm i not really a volume advocate. I just advocate the right volume for you. So my, my version of what I consider to be high volume right now is not really that high. Um, so I've kind of worked out that I can move anywhere between about, well, currently speaking, anywhere currently between about 12 to 16 sets per body part. And that's pretty much it. If I start to go very, very far over 16 sets or 15 sets per body part per week, um, I, I just don't recover that well. My joints start to hurt. Things start to go wrong. If I go much lower than that, it doesn't seem to be enough stimulus to actually progress. Whereas around that 12 to 16 range, that's ideal. Progress is pretty easy week to week. Like small amounts of progress, but you know it's consistent. So if I do that, if I work hard, if I get my food right, if I get my sleep right, if I rest properly, then I pretty much guarantee to grow so yeah in terms of the volume versus intensity i don't want anyone to get that um twisted like i'm not doing massive amounts of junk volume every set is effective and hopefully you're getting the impression from what i'm saying regarding sort of um all the factors that i've listed that i I do really value quality of work over quantity i would much rather have less amount of good quality sets than a high amount of just like drop sets and supersets and all that kind of crap so um yeah, hopefully that all kind of makes sense in regards to what I've been doing recently. Um, I've still put up training videos and stuff like that on uh, Instagram. So if you got ever got any questions about specifics, please do go and have a look. And I do, for my own clients, I have my own sort of methodology of training and my own style of training and, and what I put them through. And It's pretty consistent, but I'm happy to answer uh, general questions on, on Instagram and, and all that kind of stuff as well. Right, next up, we're gonna cover post-contest recovery, what the goals are, what some of the myths are surrounding reverse dieting. So your post-contest period should really be all about recovery. Um, A diet will always worsen your relationship with food. So let's talk psychological first. Psychologically, your relationship with food is always gonna be under strain when you go through such a severe diet that puts you on stage, always. you you know it's just going to happen it's not going to get better um if you're if you have to be so meticulous about your diet that you get down to or or let's say you get down to really, really low amounts of food where you have to be very meticulous about your eating all that kind of stuff that's going to put a strain on your relationship with food so from a psychological standpoint it's important to prioritize recovery over trying to retain low body fat levels or yeah, the the other myth is sort of trying to either minimize fat gain or try and increase metabolic capacity over the course of the next few months. I think that's a really, really bad, bad idea. But anyway, first thing is psychological reasons. Now, it's it's well known that if you put somebody under um, hypercaloric uh, conditions for long periods of time, their behavior starts to change. We saw this in the Minnesota starvation experiment. Uh, behavior starts to change, people start to develop odd psyche personality quirks. Um, You get the same thing with anorexics who've been under low amounts of food for a considerable amount of time. It's not a healthy place to be psychologically. So the very first thing is we've got to prioritize recovery. Um, From a physical standpoint, it also plays a very, very damning role. Um, Bone density can go down. Um, Hormonal factors are really the big one. And, and they can really be in the gutter. For men, it's a case of uh, losing the ability to have an erection, losing sex drive. Um, mood goes south. Sleep goes south. For women, it's potentially worse. I, I tend to think that men bounce back a little bit quicker. Women, as with most things related to diet, tends to be worse, and it's also worse the older you are as well. So if you're an elder, uh, well, elder, like a middle-aged woman who's say in her 30s and 40s, and she's done something like a, a hard contest prep, and she's now reverse dieting. She's taken sort of like eight weeks of reverse diet out of that. She's basically added two months onto her diet prep. So she's just two months she's been in uh, a deficit uh, extra to what she was prepping. So let's say she prepped for five months. So there you go. She got seven months in a deficit. Just looking at it like that, you, it kind of you you start to see the enormity of what is actually happening when people talk about reverse dieting. So with women, it's potentially even more uh, worrying and damaging because their bodies don't tend to bounce back quite as quick, they don't tend to be quite as robust. Now, ideally, the female shouldn't really even lose a period during the diet. So I've I've dieted some women down to to contest condition, and and I can successfully say now that you know the the last one that I did that down to good, very very lean levels actually didn't lose a period at all. So it's not. I tend to think with some coaches, it's a case of it's a matter of when, not if, but it shouldn't be like that. If you diet them down properly with enough time and enough care um, and enough sensitivity to their body's needs, they don't have to lose the period um, in the first place. Now, after that, it's a case of if, if the period does go, it's a case of trying to regain that and trying to get the body because it signifies the body being back into a healthy place and, and less stressed. <clears throat> The last thing you want to do after a five-month diet or a four-month diet is just a reverse diet for another couple of months. The joke is always, and I've said it um, before, is like what, what do you call a 20-week diet with a 10-week reverse diet? It's a 30-week diet because you can, you can dress it up to whatever you like, but your body's still in the deficit then for 30 weeks. You're still going to be suffering all the negatives of being in a diet. So if you've dieted to the point where on the way down your period's gone, and your sleep's gone to shit, and your mood's gone to shit, and all that kind of stuff. Don't then prolong that for another ten weeks. Like, why would you do that? So the reason that people do it is, I think it's. I think there's a couple of couple of different reasons. I think people think. I think people think there's. It minimises fat regain, and it also helps to potentially like build up the metabolism slowly, so you can almost eat more. While maintaining the weight. I think that's a general idea. Now, in terms of the belief that it minimizes fat regain, it's it just doesn't. You know, people tend to confuse like scale weight increase after dieting with fat regain. This is where the myth is born. So you are gonna have a large increase in body weight probably the week after. Now, if you go to a sensible maintenance, so let's say your body weight um, times 15, your body weight in pounds times 15, that's a sensible. Uh, maintenance for most people, you know, roughly there. If you go to that, there is going to be an initial burst of weight, but that's because, as we all know, or we should know, a large part of our of our body weight changes. It's food in the gut, it's hydration, it's glycogen levels. It's not going to be fat. So if you're going to a maintenance level, let's say for, I competed at 180, and if I, I went, to, I, and I did go to pretty much, went to 2,700 calories, yeah, that increased my body weight, but like, that's fine. That's okay. I felt normal within a couple of days because I went straight back to a healthy maintenance and I'd been dieting for six months. Then I felt awful. <laughs> and I, I had to go through a pretty, pretty hard diet phase to get down to contest, you know, shape. But within a couple of days, I was feeling back to normal again because that was because I went straight back to regular, healthy maintenance. If you're ending your diet at like sub-1500 calories, a 1,000 calories, you've already lost your period, your sleep's gone to shit, and you only raise to 1,500, you're still in a deficit. And yeah, you're minimizing the amount of weight regain, but you're still going to have some weight regain. And it's perfectly normal to have weight regain. As I say, the majority of your weight regain is going to be glycogen, food in your gut, hydration, all those kind of things. and So you're still going to be in a deficit. Now, if you've done that, and you're now 10 weeks post show, and you're still having problems with sleep and periods and all that kind of stuff. You've essentially been in a deficit for, for an additional 10 weeks. Now, your body isn't going is, to, eventually, your body's going to want to regain most of the fat and get back to a healthy place because that's the only way it's, you're going to feel normal again. Okay, we've proven that countless times through studies. Like the only way you're actually gonna feel normal again is by letting your body fat return to normal levels. You know how bad you feel on contest today. You know how, how shit you feel, you know, on the on the week of the contest. You can't sustain that for a whole year. Like if you do, you're gonna cause some permanent damage. Like you've got to get back to a healthy maintenance. ASAP, the day after the show. So it doesn't minimize fat regain. That's that's, that's absolutely a fallacy. Um, your body is going to want to return back to a reasonable fat level anyway. It's going to do that. Now, whether you drag it out for 20 weeks, 25 weeks, 30 weeks, or whether you get it over overdue within a week or two, that's up to you. And that's going to determine how quickly your body bounces back to health. You know, that's it. So considering it's going to happen anyway, and considering you may as well start to recover so you could then grow again, it makes much more sense long-term to just get back to a maintenance so your body can return back to normal back to a reasonable body fat level and then you can start your off season secondly um, there's a belief that it kind of helps to build up your metabolism so if you slowly incrementally add food back build up your metabolism that's a fallacy as well like the, the reason that people believe that is because they think they can upregulate the metabolism with more food now a large part of your calories burned is going to be down to a decrease in metabolic rate. Your body will downregulate the amount of calories it burns over the course of diet. For most average people, this does happen. Then you've got things like meat, sort of fidgeting, that tends to go down. You're less expressive when you talk, all that kind of stuff. The amount of calories you burn on you exercise, these are all fairly minor things, but they all add up. The large part of it is how your body responds to internally. So your body becomes more efficient at... Um, utilizing its resources, so you burn less. Essentially, when you're dropping body fat, your body goes into conservation mode. Now, by adding slow calories slowly back, can you not see that it, you're not going to just have this like gradual acceptance of ev- of ever increasing calories? Your body's only going to respond to the calories it's getting back. So, rather than adding back, say, if you don't, whereas you maybe let's say you should have added back a thousand calories straight away, you added back a hundred calories or five hundred calories body can only work with that. It's only gonna increase your metabolism and recover to the point where it's of, of how much food it's got. It's, if it's still in a deficit, it's still gonna be under the cosh. So that doesn't work either. So you're not gonna build up your metabolism with less food. Your metabolism will respond to more food. And if you actually get back to a maintenance, then things will start to, to look better. So the, the strategy really should be for everyone, post-contest, Recover as soon as possible. Don't do anything like reverse dieting. If you actually go to a true maintenance, your weight scale, your scale on your the, the scale will increase, but that's a large part down to glycogen, um, food in the gut hydration, and it starts to signal the recovery process. If you drag that out for another 10 weeks, you're still in a deficit. You're still going to be suffering from all the negatives of being in a deficit. So don't be surprised if 10 weeks down the line, you're still struggling with sleep or you still don't have your period back because you're still in a deficit. Like, I, don't, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone's coach or anything like that. That's not the purpose of this at all, but just think about it logically. And I know it's hard to think logically after a competition because your brain's all over the place, but just think about it logically. You're not going to recover if you're still in a deficit. Just that's, that's the bottom line. You're not going to recover if you're still in a deficit. The deficit is what caused the problem in the first place. You need to get out the deficit. So, in terms of sort of, you know, and this should be done ASAP. Dragging this kind of stuff out again, you're looking at, um, you know, studies on on people with anorexia and the long term effects of being in a deficit on a harsh deficit. They're pretty fucking bad. Like people do lose their periods for years and years and years. You know, it's not. And particularly if you're a little bit older, it's a case of well, you know, is it going to come back at this point? If you're, it's already. At the stage where you know we're starting to, you know, the, the, it, it may start to get a bit sketchy. Like, oh, is it going to come back at all? um So the reason that I make these podcasts and put out this information is like it's. I don't think some coaches really understand the severity of what they're putting their clients through, and uh, you know, I don't. I, again, it's not throwing shade on certain on certain coaches, but and I'm sure they care for their clients, and the you know they genuinely do care for their clients, but sometimes they don't know what they don't know. And the, the severity of what they're putting their clients through isn't really known till after the fact. And I think that's a big shame. And it doesn't have to be like that because, you know, there have been millions of men and women who have died down the contest shape over the years, over the decades. We have a log, or, you know, we have, a, we have an understanding of what happens after the post-contest recovery period. And we have an understanding of what should be the best method to get back to health, Um competing at that body balance level it's not healthy so don't prolong it if you have prolonged it get back to the point you're eating a reasonable amount of maintenance calories and then ride it out unfortunately at that stage it's all you can do is just ride it out probably get some blood tests see how things are working internally but for those listening who are thinking about going on a contest diet and whose coach has talked about reverse dieting don't do it it's, it's, not, it's just not the way Looking a little bit slimmer for a little bit longer is not worth risking your health over. You've already risked your health over the over the contest. You've got your pictures, you've got your memories for the day, you've got your trophy, you've got your stiff or whatever else. That's it. Be done with it. Recover and get on to your off season. Right, folks. I'm gonna call it there. That was episode thirty. Hopefully you found that interesting. And uh yeah, we'll see you for episode thirty one, which I think will be the monthly Q and A. All right, cheers.